welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. Today, I am very fortunate to have Luke Robitaille with us, the highest scoring left winger in NHL history, and I believe the best 171st draft pick ever. Luke, welcome. <laughs> hey, hey, that's a fun. I've never been introduced that way. The best 171st draft pick <laughs> ever. Good ever. to see you. <laughs> Good to see you, sir. Um, Luke, please fill in our listeners on where you grew up and how your hockey career started. And if you've got a first memory of an ice resurfacer. Uh, well, I, yeah, I grew up in Montreal. So my first, you know, first seeing a, an ice resurfacer, or for me, I call it, I've always called him a Zamboni, was probably on TV you know, watching the Hockey Night in Canada. But it, for us, it was always in French, and it was 99.9% .9 of the time, it was always the Montreal Canadiens on Saturday. So that's, that's I, would, I would think that's the first time I've ever seen it. Then live was uh, my local rink. Okay, and what was your first rink that uh, you grew up skating at? Uh, I grew up skating. It was a city out, on the outskirts of the island of Montreal in the suburb. It was called uh, Ville d'Anjou. And that's where there were one rink there. And um, so that's where we would have the 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. practices on Saturday. And uh, gosh, I can't remember the other times, but, uh, you know, that's what I remember being going there. And it was colder inside than it was outside. That's when it was really cold outside, too. <laughs> Growing up in Minnesota, I skated at a few rinks where it was absolutely colder inside than it was outside. We had one that the sides opened up, it was natural ice, and the boards were probably about eight feet tall and you had to wait for the ice to get thick enough to jump up into the players' boxes. It was pretty funny. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Luke, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, King's practice rinks and let us know how you feel this is helping to grow the sport, uh, not only in Southern California, but uh, all over the West. Uh I mean, you know, our facility, you know, going back to when we used to have the rink in Culver City, then we had one in the San Fernando Valley, and now one in El Segundo with three sheets. And it's been like a game changer, uh, you know, to have. A, I mean, I remember way back when, when I came in Los Angeles, there were no rinks with locker rooms, you know, and showers. That was like a big deal if you could get showers. And uh, so now, like, uh, people are investing into facilities and, uh, Especially, uh, it happened in the late 90s and early 2000s. There seems to be uh, some talk now about bringing some more rinks. Uh, there, there's a big boom as far as hockey players, you know, coming out of uh, Southern California and going to college and or pro. So, so because of that, I think a lot of kids are making the decision to play hockey when they're young. And I think what uh, what that's going to do is it's gonna it's gonna help. Uh, you know the the growth of the game, and then the it's going to give everyone an opportunity to build more rinks because there, there's a demand for it. Yeah, it's interesting. I was up visiting a college not too far from where you grew up, uh, Clarkson University in Potsdam, mm -hmm. New York, I believe it is, and was talking to their uh, athletic director slash rink manager, and uh, was telling him that it uh, I think being a recruiter for Arizona State, where they now have Division One hockey would be a lot easier than being a recruiter to get a kid when you tell them that they're in the girls are in bikinis and short shorts in uh, the winter time, <laughs> whereas they don't uh, get out of the state puff marshmallow outfit 
until May up in upstate New York. <laughs> That's a good point. You better have another selling point. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we'll see a Division One hockey program in Southern California or in California at all? Um, I could see it happening in, in the future. I mean, there's starting to be talk. Uh, I think there was some talk about up north in California, northern California. We, we, we've we had some talks about, uh, you know, bringing them. We're probably not quite there yet. I, I, I think bringing the AHL on the West Coast was a big step forward. There's probably a room before to bring a Tier 1 Junior League on the west coast or or division and and then i think the next step would be you know the 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 way to do it the right way is you hope you would have like a three teams playing in california and a division one college and then it would really make a big difference yeah i grew up uh luke in minnesota the frozen tundra of the midwest and i have had a lot of fun in taking jabs at my friends back there uh, in that I call Minnesota the old state of hockey, and I am going to hopefully trademark, if you think it's of any value, California as the <laughs> new state of hockey. Uh, we have the five with the sixth AHL franchise when uh, the Seattle team comes on board and three yeah. NHL teams. So yeah. it's it, it's really grown, and you've seen that growth in your time with the Kings, uh, both as a player uh, and as your current role, could you uh, let us know how you've seen things change and where you think it's going to go from here? Oh, it's changed uh, tremendously. I mean, I, you were talking about all the, the numbers of the amount of teams that we have in California, but I remember, uh, I think it was like four or five years ago when we were looking into uh, Tier 1 and, and so forth, we had a stat and, and that year that there were more players playing in Division One hockey than kids from Minnesota, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And uh, I, I don't know what the number is today, but I don't think it's gone down. So uh, I, I, I do, I see that uh, there's going to be a lot of room for growth. And, and, and it has to do with the fact that kids from California want to play. I mean, and, and when they want to play hockey, it is their choice. It's not their parents' choice. It's not anyone sure it's them and that's and and then they they really sacrifice they do everything it takes to to get better and and they and they have a real passion for the game it, it has changed when I moved out here in eighty seven I said that if it ever became a high school sport out here that you would see some of the top hockey players in the country coming out of California just because of the sheer numbers yeah. uh that they have out here yeah. Yeah, we and 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 we're getting there. I mean, the Ducks, I think, have over twenty-five teams. I think they're close to thirty, with uh, about fourteen, fifteen. So at about fifty teams, the level's not quite there yet, but it's coming. There's a lot of kids that are coming out of it, and there's a, there's big interest. I mean, we're we're unfortunately we've had to turn down kids last year, so that's that's a great problem to have. That's better than not having enough kids for the programs. That's exactly that's... yeah. So maybe you can expand a little bit. A lot of this, I think, it's tied back to um, Mr. Gretzky, uh, as in Wayne. Yep. Um, we think we're almost as famous as he is up in Brantford, which is where our Canadian plant is, um, but not quite. But uh, you, can you elaborate a bit as to what his influence was when he came to the Kings? 
Well, you guys are pretty popular, <laughs> but he, he might have you by just a little bit. I, I think, uh, you know, I think when Wayne came, it, it not only changed the game in Southern California, but it changed hockey altogether. I always tell people that, you know, like our owner at the time, uh, Mr. McNall, would, uh, for the next two to three years with Wayne, we would have a tour every preseason, you know, games. And we would play all the new mark possible market, which would be at, at the time it was like Tampa Bay. I remember playing in Miami when there was no hockey there. Cincinnati, Cleveland. We played Houston. We played Dallas. We played Phoenix when there were no teams there. We would play all these markets, and it was like a test. And they always used Wayne. I mean, Wayne didn't even play every game, but everybody would would buy all the tickets thinking Wayne would play. And some some nights he would play. You know, as you know, veterans don't play every preseason game, but that just it's amazing how what it did. And the next thing you know, you had a team in Anaheim, a team in San Jose, a team in 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 Tampa Bay, Miami, and then Nashville. After that, I mean, I I really believe that had a lot to do with the fact that Wayne came, and it showed that that the hockey could happen on the South Bend, and uh, you know, and then also uh, Dallas, which I'm, I I forgot the name of that. Well, you've come from a very cold climate and you now reside in Southern California, uh, a move similar to what I have. Um, I, do you uh, enjoy the weather that Southern California has over the cold weather from back home or do you miss that at all? Uh, I don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of fun to go back, east, you know, and, and, and have like a, a a couple of days or a week of winter and you're like, Oh, that's pretty neat. And then, and then when you come back in LA and you realize it's always 72, it's always nice. It's always kind of cool at night, man. It, there, there's nothing like it. And then the one thing too, for me that I never forget too, is the bugs. They're literally next to no bugs, no mosquitoes in LA. And when I go back to Montreal and I, you know, I go see now my brother, my sister, I just, can't believe the mosquitoes you know that just that's i can't do it you know <laughs> you got to worry about six of them taking you back to the nest and bleeding you dry to feed the little ones that are growing so that's great <laughs> i don't know if uh, everyone knows out there that's listening in on this but uh you've driven zamboni machines we've got uh, pictures of you driving out at la live on an old model machine yeah. how often do you get behind the wheel of a machine well I was so scared driving it. I thought I was going to hit the board like about five times, and uh, I kind of learned my lesson then how hard it is. I mean, you you think it's fairly simple, and it, you know it's kind of nice, and you're like it's it's everyone's dream to drive the Zamboni, and then when you get near the corner and you got to make the turn, I'm like, oh, it's not as easy as I thought at first. So it took me a while, but. Uh, you know, I've done it a few times. I really enjoy it. It, it. It's a lot of fun, but I know I'm not an expert. It's not my job. So I let the experts do it. <laughs> so does this mean that Lee Zeidman doesn't need to worry about you knocking on his door, asking to drive during one of the games? No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. He doesn't need to worry about that. <laughs> Luke, we uh, had a podcast recently with a former Montrealer, uh, Francois Martindale, and he's been brought on board to uh, oversee, I, I guess it is, or maybe you could fill us in as to what his role is uh, with the organization. Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, we, we needed someone to 
to oversee everything that we're doing and someone that's like a call it an expert like i mean we we all like uh have knowledge of what we do and you can't be great at everything and for us staples center is an extremely busy arena there'll be a, sometimes there will be a lakers game on friday night it could be a concert thursday night a lakers game friday night a clippers game at 1 p.m on on saturday keep in mind they changed all different floors and then we will play on Saturday night, you know, where they have to uncover the ice. So we, we brought Francois just to make sure that uh, he, he would he would try to help us uh, with keeping the stability of the ice at Staples Center. At the same time, we want the ice at our practice facility to feel and be the same as what we have at Staples Center. So our players, because when you play on an arena that busy, you never practice at, your, at, at, at the arena you play in. So we're trying to keep the ice at our practice facility at Toyota Sports Center the same as what it would be at Staples Center. And uh, he's made some tremendous stride with the guys at the at Staples Center. They've worked together. And uh, I thought that the, the best thing that, 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 that the way to describe Francois' role with us is he gets up in the morning. His first thought is, after thinking about his family, is how can I make the ice better to help the Kings? And when he goes to bed, that's what he's thinking about nothing else and you know everybody else that works at toyota sports center at staples center they have to think of other things you know they gotta they gotta have a floor for the concert they gotta make sure everything is clean like for him all that matters is the ice and then so far it's really worked out well especially that we're trying to build the kings that we want them to be this young fast team and the game is getting quicker and so forth so we thought it was very important to match that with the team we're going to build uh, that's great it uh, reminds me of a uh interview that i heard uh, jerry bus uh, when he was alive talk about he said he knew what he knew but more importantly he knew what he didn't know and that meant he put in the hands of people uh who were more knowledgeable about different things let them make those decisions yeah it's very important yeah great great uh luke what players that you're close to in the nhl do you still stay in contact with oh uh, gosh so many you know, the, the thing about hockey, and it's such a great team game that you cannot see a guy for 10 years, and then you'll see him, you'll have dinner. It's like you were together for the last three, you know, so it's always yeah. fun. So I, whoever I see, I still talk and so forth. But guys that I stay in touch real close, obviously Tony Granado. I talk to Ian Napierre from time to time. I, I've gotten pretty close to Cam Neely. Uh, we, we, we share a lot of stuff because we kind of have the same position with our teams with Brendan Shanahan. Uh, obviously, I'm, I work with Blakey and Nelson Emerson, Glenn Murray, and Derek Armstrong with our teams. So I see I see those guys a lot. But uh, it's hard to name. I'm trying to name guys, but I, I'm so close to a lot of guys. And, uh, you know, we share ideas and we share a lot of stuff that we do together. So it's kind of fun that... Uh, I still got friends all the way around the league. You know, I kind of cherish that. Did uh, Ian ask for your expertise with all your Hollywood uh, movies and uh, things that you've been involved in when he was in yeah. the, the, the one movie that uh, that I recall seeing him in? That's right. That's where he went when he had no teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, you know, no, no, we were laughing. Uh, the only thing is I, I called him after and I said, uh, don't you realize how much, uh, you know, how much time it takes to film one scene? He couldn't believe it, you know, because I had warned him. I go, you'll see. 
it's hurry up and wait in Hollywood. And uh, he called me after. He just couldn't believe how much time they waste. You know, it seemed like it's a waste. It's not. It's just they got to set everything. But it's, it's a lot longer than what you see in the movies. Different. Exactly. Exactly. I, I remember having lunch with you and we talked uh, a bit about, I think it was right after Sidney Crosby had signed his contract. And I think, I, I don't recall if it was you shared an agent or not, whatnot, but you talked about how he was celebrating with uh, maybe a small glass of wine, uh, it, which leads me to my question. Do you think the players today have as much fun as the players in your era did uh, being able to meet uh, maybe a little more free? Um. I, it was such a different era. I, you know, I had fun playing the game, but I was different. I, I, I took my, I took every game so seriously that for me, that the fun part was playing the games. There were some guys that they, there were more freedom because especially my first couple of years were in charter. So we stayed in town. And a lot of guys would, they, they couldn't sleep. So they would go have a few drinks and so forth. I, I wasn't really like that. I do think players today are a lot more disciplined they understand the length of their career their nutrition is is very important to them they they they, they treat it as fuel in a way so i i would think like the the knowledge of the players today like uh, of, of staying healthy knowing what to do and 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 you see the good teams their best players they're the most disciplined so when that happens that the rest of the players follow on the team so like the Crosby or Jonathan Taze or for us, Anze Kopitar, these guys really treat themselves good. So usually what it does, all the young guys are following or the lead of these guys. Uh, it's interesting. We just did a podcast with a gentleman that I've known since I was a little kid, Tom Reed, who played for the Minnesota North Stars, and he's their current radio analyst. He also is the owner of... Uh, Tom Reed's Hockey City Pub right down the street from the XL, which I would suggest you visit if you get up to St. Paul uh, for a game. But he talked about how it's different. Now they've got chefs that uh, cook the meals for the players before the yeah. games. Oh, yeah. So now if a, a player thinks he's hungry, there's food there available for him at all times. You know, we we call it the, the NHL's called a no hungry league. <laughs> and it, there, there's food at all time and and every team is trying to outdo themselves because, you know, it's it's a competition too. You wanna make sure you treat the players the best you can because they talk and they'll talk about your franchise. So it is it is done well and uh, you know, every team is trying to personalize the meals and trying to get them better and uh, it, it's gotten to an entire I remember when I was in the NHL our trainer would go the only thing we had available was a pregame meal on the road so our trainer would take extra baked potatoes and oranges after and have that like around four or five o'clock when we would come in the locker room but I remember for me I would buy a chocolate bar that was my uh, four o'clock snack and now we have these special snacks with the, the right amount of protein the right amount of carbs and they have the pregame meal. They have a breakfast available. And then the minute the game is over, they have a meal available too. On top of it, we give them meal money, which I still don't know why we do that, but that's the way it works. <laughs> good, good negotiators they are. Good negotiators. Hey, what was the best building for you to play in, whether it be one that still uh, exists or an old building that you might have played in that doesn't exist any longer? I think the coolest building for me was the Chicago Stadium. 
that was really special with the big organ. There was just something so amazing about that building and coming up the stairs, getting on the ice, you know, you had to duck because it was behind the net, but it was just, that was just the greatest experience. Obviously going to Montreal Forum, being a kid from Montreal, that was just absolutely incredible. But there was something about the Chicago stadium for me personally, that just felt just very, very special. Early in your career, you weren't an American, but did it make your the hair on the back of your neck tingle when Wayne Mesmer would sing the national anthem at the old stadium? Well, yeah. The first time I went there and the guys kind of warned me in the locker room, they said, be ready. This national anthem is special. I, the hair in the back of my neck went up, and I, I could not believe how loud it was because that building was super tight. Everything was really steep there. I just could not believe how loud it was during the anthem. I remember calling my, my dad. I woke him up, you know, there's his pre-cell phones. And I'm like, Dad, you should have heard that anthem. This is amazing, you know. After the game from actually an actual pay phone. And I called Collect, you know, the old Collect, and he had to pay. <laughs> it's, funny. it's funny. When I traveled, I've taken a picture of a few uh, pay phones when I see them nowadays because those are hard to come by. Um what yeah. would be your favorite food and your favorite city for food? I'm kind of a foodie and I'm sitting in a parking lot right now while I'm on this call and I just got done consuming cheese whiz on some Italian bread. So I'm going to hope that you have something that's better than that for food to choose from. Cheese whiz on Italian bread. I'm trying to put that together right now. I mean, I guess it depends where I go. I'm, I'm obviously I've always been big on Italian food. Uh, so you're asking me, where's my favorite restaurant or my favorite food? Your favorite restaurant and your favorite food. So it's Italian. Where would uh, where would you go? Uh, well, now you have know, turned vegan the last four years. So that kind of changed our life a little bit. So in L.A., we love to go to this restaurant called Craig's and another one called Crossroad. And it, it, it's just amazing. At Craig's, they actually have a vegan Parmesan uh, chicken parmesan like a fake chicken but it's just so good you wouldn't even know i mean that's how amazing it is um obviously going to montreal that's every once in a while i cheat like where my mom and dad used to live was when the poutine started that's where it started the original place so you can't go there and not have it you have to it's just absolutely amazing um uh, besides that, uh, going to Chicago and New York is always fun because they got some of the best new restaurants always, you know. So I always call someone uh, from New York and ask him what's the new spot that we could go and we try it. And, uh, I'm not that picky, but uh, definitely if I have a choice between any of them, I'll go to uh, to an Italian restaurant. You know what I like now that I'm vegan is I'll uh, if we go to a steakhouse, I'll literally have every appetizer. And, and it's always really good because you go to a good steakhouse they have the best like uh you know they have the they'll have the best artichoke they have the best potato they'll even have the best fries so so i always uh make sure i have like a like a it's almost like a buffet of appetizer which is good well we'll have to get you to fleming's again because i remember that uh appetizer oh plate yeah that was there. That, that's they got some good yeah they got some good stuff there <laughs> yeah well mr zamboni whose last name ends in a vowel, we, we have a rule around our place is that if your last name ends in a vowel, you're more than likely Italian. And and uh, he'll be happy to hear that you're a fan of Italian food as he is. 
That's a good. <laughs> uh, just we're running close to the end, and I don't want to keep you, but I've got a couple more questions. Um, where has the Stanley Cup been when it's been with you, either when you won it as a member of the Red Wings or for the two times that uh, you won it uh, with your involvement with the Kings? Well, w w when I won it with the Red Wings, we brought it back here, and I was pretty cool. We we actually got a uh, special license. I got it for two days in L.A., so I had a big party in my backyard. We thought we had room for 150 people. We ended up with 350. It was crazy. It was so much fun. At the time, like, the cup had barely ever been in L.A., so it was pretty special. Uh, and then the next day, we got a permit, and we actually hiked down and brought it to the uh, Hollywood sign. The pictures didn't turn great as, as great as we thought because the sign is so big, you know, and then we had to have someone all the way down the hill and take a picture. But it's still pretty cool that we actually brought it to the, to the, uh, to the Hollywood sign. Then we, we brought it to uh, Universal Studio, and it did, we did the Jurassic Park ride. We didn't do the drop, though. You know, they, they let me have the cup on the, the entire ride. And then before the before the drop, we actually got a special thing where they stopped me on the side. They grabbed the cup and then we went down and the drop with the family. We went to Hollywood Boulevard. We obviously went in the ocean and everything. So that was pretty special when we got to do all that stuff. Great, great. The highlight of your NHL career, there were had to be many. I mean, 668 celebrations just for goals. Um, what was the highlight of your career in the NHL? First game. I remember like it was yesterday, stepping on the ice through the Zamboni doors. At the, our first game was at the uh, the old forum in Inglewood and uh, just stepping in and, and say, okay, this is it. And I made it to the NHL. Then I, then I, then I, I got scared. I'm like, I better not screw this up. I want to stay here. <laughs> but I, my first game was certainly special. I, I scored on my first shift. I stepped on the ice and scored, so that made it even more special. <laughs> That's awesome. And then I was just reading a little bit uh, to try to prep myself. Um, how did that compare, or winning the Stanley Cup, to you scoring the winning goal uh, at the 1994 Worlds? Uh, well, winning the cup is is the greatest uh, award in ho in all of hockey, but the gold medal in 1994 was very special because uh, when we started the tournament for years, Team Canada would go and no one took it seriously. And that year, they made me captain and they asked me to take it seriously. And we kind of had, uh, you know, with the coaching staff and the GM some meetings, and we said, you know what, we're going to take it seriously. We're gonna we're gonna go for it and they reminded us that no one had won that, that gold medal for uh, for 32 years at the time. And we went out and won it. And, uh, you know, I was lucky I got, I got they named me to shoot and, uh, for the for the, the, the last uh, shootout. And I scored and, and we won. But it certainly was uh, a special memory. And then after that, Canada won many times. So we, I feel like we kind of started something. It, like I, I have to live with 1980 as that for as a U.S. Uh, as an American as the highlight of my career uh, in hockey, and I'm lucky enough to say I got to skate once against one of the members of that team, and I've been lucky enough to uh, meet several of them as well as several of the 60 team. But um, Luke, thank you for spending time with us today. It was a great pleasure. All right, Doug, it's great. It's great to talk to. You. 
We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. For more info, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast for more episodes or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.